get rolling. Mark chapter 9. And uh, we got down through verse 13 last time. So we're going to pick up in verse 14 and uh, just see what the picture is, what's going on, and so forth. Uh, talk about this young boy here who uh, has the spirit in him, the, de the, the demonic spirit, and uh, the Lord's disciple, nine of the 12 can't heal him. Why and what's going on? Verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning them. So uh, from verse 14 to 29 is really one event. So we're going to get through it here in one event. Okay. And really the, flow, the issue here is the flow of what's going on. Again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the, the, those four different portraits of the ministry of the Messiah, the life of the Messiah. Matthew, here, here he is, the, behold your king. Mark, behold your servant. Luke, behold the man. John, behold your God. And that picture, and again, Mark is about the servant. So the servant, we don't care about his pedigree, so there's no lineage, there's no genealogy. We don't care about anything about him. What do we want to know about the servant? Can they do the work? Can they work? That's all we want to know. So in Mark, that word and and that word immediately are the two big words. And this, and this, and this, and this. And it, literally, you get exhausted by the time you get through Mark reading it because of all of the activity. So just kind of remind us where we're at. We've just been, eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 31. And he, and that's the Lord, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So he's been dealing with Israel. Then he begins prior to 831 in Mark. He's never said a word about going to the cross. He's never said a word about, so the gospel of the kingdom and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand has nothing to do with the cross. It has everything to do with the kingdom. Right there, he's on it. He began to do that. Then there's a conversation that he has with Peter. By the way, verse 31 is at the end of that conversation about who do you guys say we are? Who do you guys say I am? Well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now, in Matthew and in Luke, there's great detail in the conversation. Not in Mark, because Mark is moving. He, we don't need all that conversation, all of that extra stuff. We just need this. And again, I'll tell you, if you took out all of the extra talking, <laughs> if you will, from Mark and Luke, they would actually be smaller books than, Ma than Mark. Matthew and Luke, sorry, Mark, okay? Because Mark is just, here's the events, here we go. So he's been dealing with them. Now he says, now it's time to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. What's Peter say? Great, wonderful, Lord, let's go. No, he says, not so, Lord. And the Lord rebukes him. And he says, listen, get behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan. He's saying, you're talking just like the satanic captivity would have you to talk. That's not true. So then he says there, a verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, 
which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So there's that statement. Now, that statement gets a lot of people riled up because what's happened? Well, if you don't rightly divide the word, you don't dispensational Bible study, then what would you hold to? Well, you would hold that the kingdom's come because these guys died off naturally. But yet, we've, and we've studied it there. You go over there to 2 Peter 1 and Peter's own account, his own eyewitness account as we saw his majesty. So Peter, James, and John, the big three, are pulled up. They're taken up onto the Mount Transfiguration, and the Lord is transfigured there. Literally, who he is comes out, and they see the glory. They see the glory of the kingdom. They see his majesty. So you have the two things that the prophets have been talking about. His suffering is now on the table, and the glory. Now, he just told them, I'm going to go die, and what do they do? They fall apart, so he takes three, leaves nine down at the bottom of the hill, takes three up on Mount there, and by the way, the great mountain is Mount Horeb. In the end of Malachi, you have the four, la the four last names of the Old Testament are given. Mount Horeb, Moses, Elijah, and the Lord. Here they sit. Here they are in the transfiguration. Who do we have? We have the great, the high mountain, Mount Oreb. There's Moses, there's Elijah, and there's the Lord. There they are. So he goes through that. So he, I'm going to go suffer, but I need you guys to understand that the glory will come. The kingdom is going to come. They've been up on the mountain, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him. After six days, Luke, you go over there to Luke 9, and it says, before 8. So we're on the seventh day. By the way, you need Luke 9. Just stick something in Luke 9 because of the detail. So in Luke 9, verse 28, and it came to pass about an eight days. So not quite eight, but not, seven, not six, so we're on the seventh day. He takes Peter, James, and they go up. They've been up there, Mark 9, 14. And when he came to his disciples, now they're coming down the mountain. All right? So th think about where we're at. Calvary, he tells them in Mark 9, you don't say anything until I've been risen from the dead. And again, we had that big look last time about the issue they understand the resurrection of the dead, but what is this resurrection from the dead? They're different. What's going on here? So they, And again, this is Peter, James, and John, the big three, having the conversation. Now he comes down the mountain, 914, and that's where we're picking up. So that's the picture. You've got to have the picture here because when he comes down the mountain, uh, Luke 9, verse 37 and it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And that's where we're at, the next day. So that eighth day, here they come down the hill. And when they come down the mountain, they've come off of the Mount Transfiguration. They've come down the mountain. Now it's back to reality. Okay? Because that's where they're at. What did they do? He's told them, I got to suffer. Then he pulls them off into and gives them a glimpse of glory, kingdom glory. Now we're back to reality. Now, if you're in Luke, hold on to Luke 9. Come over to Luke 19. Luke 19. And trust me, all this is going to make sense when we get to the end with these guys in this section here. Luke 19, 
Look, if you will, at verse 11, Luke 19, 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Now, you remember, the parables aren't so that everybody can catch it and grow and do. It's so that the believing remnant get it and the unbelieving element, apostate Israel, doesn't get it. He gives them a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. Now watch. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. What are they looking for? They're looking for the kingdom, but what has to happen first? The suffering has to happen first. That's the whole point here. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called, uh, he, uh, he said, therefore, uh, I'm sorry, and he called his ten servants, delivered them ten pounds, said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded his servants, and there's an accountability given and so forth. So, again, what's happening here? The nobleman, the Lord, what is he going to do? He's going to die. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to ascend. He's going to go off. He's going to leave them. While he's gone, what are they to do? They're to occupy. They have an occupation. That's early Acts. That's Acts 1 to 7. At the end of 7, what do they do? They stone Stephen. They send the messenger, verse 14, after him. Say, hey, we don't want this. He then does what? He returns, but what does he return with? He returns with the kingdom. So when you come back to Mark 9, what's happening? He goes away up under the Mount, Mount the Transfiguration. They see the kingdom, their eyewitness of the glory, the majesty. He's received it, and now what is he doing? He's coming down. He's coming back. So there's the picture here, the typology, the, 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 the setting. And in, in, now go back to Mark 9. The setting here is his return back to the earth. He's, so we're talking about his second coming. That's what we're talking about. What has he done? Think about where we're at. We're here, right? The Lord's earthly ministry. Calvary's going to sit out over here. He's going to die, be buried, rose again the third day. Then he's going to ascend up to do what? He's going to sit until the enemies are made his footstool. But what's he doing there in Luke 19? He's receiving the kingdom. And then over here, what's he going to do? He's going to return. Now, we know that to be the 70th week. And here we have Acts 1 to 7. Stephen looks up, and what does he do? He sees him standing. Standing to do what? Come back. Okay? But where are we in Mark 9? He's been up on the mountain. They've seen the picture. They've seen the type. They've witnessed it. Now he's coming back. He's returning. And when he comes down to the bottom of the hill, 914, he finds the nation of Israel in total apostasy. The, wor the, the world, he, so when he comes back here, as we go through this, the, the condition that he finds everything in is going to be the same condition when he returns. The disciples can't heal the guy, can't heal the, the man's kid. The scribes are jumping all over the uh, disciples about everything. 
And by the way, the disciples here are the nine that were left at the bottom, okay? You've got, a man, you've got people coming, every, well, verse 14, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. See, he got a great multitude around them. The scribes questioning with them, and straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, running to him, saluting him. So what does he see? He sees this whole thing. By the way, they behold him. Revelation 1 says that every eye will see him. Every eye is going to look on him. See him when he what? When he returns. So you've got a picture being drawn out again for us here of what's going on. So the disciples, verse 14, they're in an argument with the scribes, the religious leaders of, the, of that apostate nation. They're after them. They're questioning them. And the question is going to be because they couldn't heal the, the boy, the, man, the, the man's son, okay? And because they couldn't heal him, what, are the, what is the religious zealots doing? Well, man, we finally got one of these guys and we're going to nail them because they can't do something that they've been able to do. Now they can't do it, so let's go get them. And the... the the religious leaders, again, they're always looking for a way to mock, to attack, when that little flock and believing remnant appear to fail, okay? And there's a lesson here. The little flock, they're, they're, they're failing. And there's some things going on here that when Christ comes back, he sees Israel in complete satanic captivity. He sees a little flock, pictured with the disciples there, failing. They can't get something done. They can't do. And then what's going to happen? Christ is going to come in, he's going to heal the kid, and we're going to have victory. Okay? You got it? All right, let's go home. <laughs> it's just a great picture. Now, what happens, obviously, in Christian dumb, and that's with the D-U-M-B at the end, they run with these verses for you and I today, and we're not talking about us today. We're talking about, really, we're getting a picture. The Lord's painting a picture for the disciple, the apostles, the disciples, and the little flock of, hey, you guys don't understand. I'm with you right now, but I'm about to leave. And it's, and, and you know, they, he, they, James and John, they want to sit on the right and the left hand, and they, oh, yeah, we can die your death. And I, and there's a rejection coming that these guys have no clue about, and he's educating them on that. Verse 14, verse 15, And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes. So what he sees the scribes going after his guys. So he asked the scribes a question, What, what question ye with them? Now, that is all that it took to shut the scribes up was what, what was the question that you asked them? He asked them a question. Now, all through the earthly ministry of, of the Lord, he'll ask them a question they can't answer. They ultimately quit asking him questions. Why? That's how you shut them down. How, answer the question. You can't, okay, then you need to be quiet. So that's literally what's going on. You, again, he always, they're arguing about things, and then he'll ask them a question, and it shuts them down. And literally on the page here, they disappear. They're gone. Because verse 17, 
And one of the multitude answered and said. See, so someone in the crowd, the dad in the crowd, that's who it's going to be, he spoke up. So the question is, notice verse 17, Master, I have, I'm, I'm sorry, glance across the page there to verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? That's the question the scribes were asking. You guys have been spouting, shooting off at the mouth over here that you can raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out the dead and do all this stuff, but yet you couldn't do it for this guy. So what's going on? What's changed? What's happened? And the disciples don't know. They don't understand. They, they're, they're, they panic. We could, but now we can't. Why? What's going on? And that is literally going to be the issue here, is that the disciples have become powerless. They can't do the two great signs of the kingdom, heal the sick, and then cast out the demons. They can't do that. So the question, verse 17, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. The dad here, in, in Luke if you still got Luke, run over there Luke 9. I told you to stick something, and then I didn't. So that's how that goes, huh? Monkey see, monkey do. Get the paper here. Luke, look at Luke 9. Notice verse 38. Again, Luke is looking at the humanity side of everything. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine. What? Only son, isn't that only child, isn't that interesting? The Lord is the only begotten. Israel is my firstborn, that only son. So there's not a whole bunch of sons back here waiting. Dad's concerned where? Right here, Abraham and Isaac up on the mountain, Genesis 22, and he's concerned with, you know, the boy, what's going to happen. So when you come back into Mark 9, that's what happens here. The, he's got a spirit. Now watch verse 18. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. So the he is the, the spirit, the helm's the boy. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. That's the issue. He's got this, this spirit in him over here in this. And by, by the way, verse 18, what's it doing? It's just ripping this kid apart. And that's literally what the satanic captivity is designed to do to Israel, is to destroy it, to rip them apart. The, he says, listen, he takes him, he does all this to him. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him. And that's really the, the issue in all of this is that why are the disciples powerless? Why couldn't they do what they had been doing all along? Now, we're going to see the Lord's response. And what's the Lord's response going to do? He's going to explain why they couldn't do it. And, and that why is going to actually really be very important. But it's the why that gets everybody bent out of shape in this passage. And it's how the Lord answers them. 
Now watch verse 19. He answered, and here, by the way, here's the why. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So have you ever done something or, well, I have kids. And it's like, go do that. And then they don't do it. And you get frustrated with them. And he's like, just give it to me. Let me do it. And then you, that's literally what the Lord's doing. You guys should have been healed this kid. You didn't, just bring him to me and I'll do it. But he does something here. The reason he's frustrated with them, how long shall I, uh, how long shall I be with you and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him, the reason for that is the issue of that faithless generation. Okay, now hold on here and look at Luke 9 and watch how he says it in Luke 9, how Luke records it in Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 41. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. See that issue of faithless and perverse generation? So it's... (laughs) It's faithless, by the way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10. So the faithless here, he's not talking about the individual guy. He's talking about what? The generation, the group, okay, the group of people. He's he's not talking about you disciples are just a bunch of faithless and perverse. He's talking about who? The group. I will also remind you that word generation doesn't always mean time. It, you, that word generate is in there. You're of your father the devil, he tells the apostate Israel. You, not physically the devil's de- father, but what, did the, what does that satanic policy do? It generates this perverse generation. Oh, vipe, oh generation of vipers. He's not talking about just this little group. So when that word generate, you always have to look at the context. Here he's talking about the people. Not you individually, but this bigger group. There's a father, faithless and perverse. Now come back to Deuteronomy 32 and notice when it started. Because it's going to be... This is going to help us when we get here in Luke 9 because he's going to ask him, how long has he been this way? And he's been this way since a child. Deuteronomy 32. So faithless and perverse. That's not good, okay? Deuteronomy 32, this is the song of Moses. This is the national anthem of the nation of Israel. Verse 4. He is the rock. Notice it's capital R, so it's a name. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul says the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Jehovah. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 4. For all his his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. So the perversion has to do with some, what are they doing? They're not 
obeying the word of God to them. What did God tell Israel through Moses? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You don't make a graven image. You don't do this. I'm your God. And so what they instantly do? Had Aaron make them a golden calf. Went right back into Baal worship. The gods that God just destroyed in Egypt, they went right back to worshiping it. What they, they're perverse, and, and, and what did they do? They're not obeying the word of God to them. They are faithless. That's what he's getting at. They're, again, now, prophetically, Deuteronomy 32 is looking to the trib and all of that, I, okay? But I just want, I want you to see it started right here. Look down at verse 18. And of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred thee because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. They're faithless. So the gen when the Lord, when Mark 9, when he looks at them, and they can't do things, what are they? They're faithless. They have put themselves into a position of no faith. They're not believing the word of God to them. They're not trusting God's word. Go back to Mark 9. They've completely left it. They've ignored it. They're not believing it. They're not trusting it. And that's the key. And what's why were they not able to heal the man's son? What's going on? Why are they powerless? Well, they're not trusting the word of God that he just gave them. Okay? Now, go back to Mark 9 and look there at verse 18. The, the dumb spirit. Because what you're seeing here is a picture of the spiritual condition of Israel, the nation. What's that dumb spirit do to him? 9.18, and who, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth and gnashes with his teeth and pineth away. He carry, they are carried away into what? Satanic captivity. And Satan hates Israel. You go back and you go over there and read Psalms 83, and all he wants to do is wipe Israel off the face of the earth. So what, is, what these spirits do? They're ripping on him. They're tearing. They want to destroy him. So what does the Lord say in verse 19? Bring him to me. I'll take care of him. You guys are in captivity. You can't do it because you're not believing God's word. Satan has taken over. He's beaten this kid up. But who am, who am I? <laughs> I'm the Messiah. I'm Jehovah. It's my word and I'll get it done. So the frustration here in the scene is not because... They just went off over here and into unbelief. Again, you can't think of like like their program isn't like our program when you talk about you know salvation. So again, salvation has many many definition meanings to it, depending on this, the context. You and I, our justifications instantly boom. Theirs is a pack, part of a whole package of stuff. Verse uh, Mark nine. Look at verse nineteen. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer him? Bring him unto me. You're in captivity because you're not believing God's word. 
Satan's in tr control. You can't do this. Satan's in control of it because you're not trusting what I just told you over here. Verse 21. Verse 20. And when they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, uh, uh, wallowed foaming. I mean, ju just beat him up. And he asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. So this kid's been this way since the very beginning. The spiritual condition in Israel has been what? That same, since the beginning. That's why Deuteronomy 32, you go back there and look at that, it's so important. Why? Because it started back here. And what have they been? They've been faithless. They've been perverse. They haven't paid attention to the word of God to them. They're out doing other things. I mean, you think about that. God told Israel, you're going to have a king, but you're going to have a king on my time. So what did Israel say? No, we want it now. We want Saul now. He goes, all right, you go on Saul. You can have Saul, but it ain't my guy. And it was, it was bad news for the nation. David comes in, God's guy, and we're good. So instead of patiently waiting it out, they want it now. So here again, verse 21, how long, have you, how long has he been this way? He's been this way since the beginning. They've been failing since the beginning. Verse 22, and oftentimes he hath cast him into the fire and into the waters, to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, again, remember the, the demons, the, 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 the spirits, and stuff, that their affinity to fire and water. We've looked at it as we've come through our study in the Gospels. They love the water. They love fire. And where, where is he dragging this guy, this kid, right back into it? There they are. So here's Israel. And what's the deal? We can't do it. So we need you to have what on us? Have compassion and help us. And really the question is, isn't can you help us or do you have compassion? Because they know he does. He's had he had compassion on the 5,000 and he fed them. The 4,000 and he fed So really the question isn't can you do it? It's really the question is, is do you have the power to help? That the disciples had no power. So, okay, you say you're Jehovah, you say you're the Messiah, can you help? So you get verse 23, and here's the rub. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Notice what the Lord did there. He says, if thou canst believe. See, he put it back on the guy. See, the issue isn't with Christ. The issue is with the man's unbelief. He's faithless. See, he looks at the dad and he said, listen, this isn't about me being able to do. This is on you. Do you believe I can help? Look at verse 22. And oftentimes have cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Now watch. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. And the Lord says, if thou canst believe, do you believe I can? 
Because if you believe I can, then I can. But if you don't believe I can, see, the issue is on them. The problem is with you believing. And you know what? You don't believe, and that's the problem. You're not believing. So it, in verse 23, again, it gets to be a very tricky verse because of what it re, the rest of that verse says. All things are possible to him that believeth. So, yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and today, if uh, Philippians 4, okay, and praying for healing and stuff, the Lord, 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed, okay, Second uh, Corinthians 12, 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he said unto me, that was the answer. What did the word of God say to Paul? Well, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, and so on. So the answer to your prayer is, what does the word of God say? And he said unto me. Okay? So in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, verse 6 Paul writes, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I can pray for anything and everything with thanksgiving. But what's going to be the answer? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what's the answer? And he said unto me. So I can pray for... We have sick people. I, I pray for them. What's the answer going to be? And he said unto me. Because healing today is a, I, should say, I shouldn't say it this way, but it's not a good thing. Because what do we get when we die and go to heaven? We get a new body. So the healing is never even enters our, our frame of thinking because of Romans 8.18, the present dispensate the uh, the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory so he talk, just talking about healing i can pray for anything and everything actually we're instructed to pray without ceasing okay so prayer is just talking to the father about the details of life and how to take his word and apply it to those details so linda heard her back Lord, Linda heard her back, you know, give her a little peace. Give her, well, he's not going to shoot a bolt of lightning down there and zap her sciatica and get it back in shape, okay? I looked at her and said, you need to call the doctor so you can go get this looked at. She goes, okay, finally got through, et cetera. But where does, the peace, where does the peace of God come into that? And he said unto me, what is it? The present dispensation, the suffering isn't worthy to be compared over here. There's a mindset about it that's different than Israel. Israel's healing, Israel's healing and the casting out of the demons uh, are the two major components of their kingdom, of the kingdom message. So they were always looking for that. Israel was. We don't. We pray, we move on. Hey, you know, a lot of times 
when I find we have folks that are ill and I'll pray for them because they're sick and they I'm, and it's really Lord give their mind a place of peace and rest and calm because it stinks to get sick <laughs> you know but there's a peace in it uh, that passes all understanding of hey if I die I'm in His presence I'm good but. I need to be here, so we've got to get through this, so let's take the necessary steps. So these guys are looking, they're looking to be healed because it's a picture of that kingdom. It's what they're expecting. And Isaiah 9, Isaiah 35, it's what the Messiah is going to do when God comes. For it, when, so when their God comes, Isaiah 35, he's going to heal, blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk, all this is going to happen. And that's what the Lord's demonstrating here is that he is Messiah. And that's what he's doing. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Both, everybody, the, the whole multitude, everybody in an audience, in attendance, yeah. So go back to Mark 9. So yes, the Lord is speaking, when he calls them faithless, he's, he's not talking to the individual, he's talking to the group, the faithless, the generation, the group. And again, Luke, Matthew, faithless and perverse. That's who he's talking to. Uh-huh. Yes, these are all Jews. The the. No, no Gentiles at all. They, they don't get to taste any of this yet because they're not. Uh, Israel isn't in their position of being that channel of blessing, uh, that blessing to all the families of the earth. Okay? So go into verse 23. All things are possible to him that believeth. That part of that verse gets used by mainline Christianity to say, roughly, okay, that if you think it hard enough and you believe it to be true, then it's going to come true. Problem is, is reality smacks you in the face when that doesn't happen. But they use this verse to do that. Why? Because it's, all things are possible to him that believeth. They pull it out of the context. They pull it out of what he... So they say, hey, if you can make it up in your mind and you can think it through and you believe it, then guess what? All things are possible. But that's not what's happening here. That's not the, the situation. So then what's going on? Yes, ma'am. That's okay. When he's doing this, yes. Yes. No. No. Pete, just the disciples are the nine apostles that were at, left at the bottom. When the Lord comes down, it's the Lord, James, Peter, and John, or Peter, James, and John. They come down. They're, but they're watching this. Ha they're, wa they're looking around going, what happened? We were just gone a day. What happened here? And it's all kind of falling apart. So, yeah. Okay? So the question then is, all right, what's going on? 923. Okay? Well, if, if thou canst believe faith, now, you have to think about the principle of faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That tells you that, that's Romans 10, that faith 
is the power of faith rests in, the, in its object. So faith doesn't have power in itself. Faith sits in the object over here. The power of faith is going to be there, in this case here, when they take hold of what God's word says. When you take what God's word says, then boom, you're in it. There's where faith is. If you, that's what the Lord's saying to this man, to the group as a whole. If you believe that I can do this, then what? I can do anything. The problem, what should his object, what, what should, who should have been the object of his faith? The Lord. He's standing there. He had faith that the disciples could do it, but they couldn't do it. So then when the Lord shows up, he says, well, if you, if you can do it, could you help us? Rather than, hey, you can do it. Remember the lady that touched the hem of his garment and virtue left? There's no question where her faith rested. It was in him. He's the one. This, that's what's happening here, but it's a faith that's powerless in and of itself. It has to depend or trust on something or someone. That's what faith is. The power of faith is really in what it's trusting or depending on or focusing in on. That's, so the question here of, hey, you know, Christ, can you do this or not? He turns around and says, wait a second. If your faith can rest in my power as Messiah to do this, then I, I can heal your son. By the way, he does that here in a second. So really, the issue here is what are you believing? Your faith has to trust God's word because in the word, that's where the power is, the life is, is in his word. So now watch verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, so now dad's going to speak. Lord, I what? I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Now think about now that is that is an honest reply. Because you have two things that the man says. He says, I believe, but there's some things I don't understand that you're going to help me with. The, the unbelief part. I believe, I believe you have the power. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the one that can do this. But man, there's some things going on I don't quite understand and I'm going to need your help with. We get that way sometimes too, <laughs> okay? And that's literally what the man's doing. He's like, I believe who you say you are. I believe you have the power to do this. I believe, but there's some stuff that I just don't understand yet and I'm going to need your help with that, okay? Now, just to show you us, look over here at Philippians Chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Because here's us in that thinking about, hey, I believe, but I'm there's some need. Philippians 3, verse 15. In the two verses here, 15 and 16, on the issue of relative maturity. He says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. And again, that word perfect in Paul's epistles is mature, growing. It isn't, don't mess up and don't ever make a mistake. But it's that issue in 2 Timothy 3.17 that the man of God may be perfect. What does that mean? Comma, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So there's a maturity. So here are the Philippians, a book of, correct, of reproof, 
bad behavior, and, and he's calling them what? Perfect. You guys are perfect, but you got some problems. Now watch what he says. Be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already uh, attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So when we gain our understanding, let's keep our understanding mark. And if there's something we don't understand yet, then what's going to happen? Well, God's going to reveal it to us. Now, how does he reveal it to us? Study the word rightly divided. Study. As you've been taught, get in, learn. Okay? And then what do you do? You grow. That's literally what the man in Mark 9 is saying. I'm God. I believe who you say you are, but, man, there's some things over here I just don't understand yet, and I need your help with. Okay? That's what he's doing. Now, go back to Mark 9. Verse 24, help thou mine unbelief. Now, that's the condition of the disciples, the nine that are sitting there. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw, verse 25, that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him and the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him and he was as one dead insomuch that that many said he's dead again that condition there of what the spirit is doing you think about revelation 12 the war in heaven they're kicked out satan and his angels are kicked out of heaven and what do they do they go after israel they just pull their whole thing is designed to destroy Israel. That's what they're after. That's what's happening here. Yet, who's really in control? Christ is. Kicks him out. Okay? Verse 27. I, I, that thing, he is dead. I mean, they looked at, that poor kid's laid down, and he, they're like, check his pulse, he's dead, you know? And that's, and the Lord, no, he's good. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Israel's dead. The picture. Israel's dead. No. Who, who restores them? Jehovah does. Brings them back. There they are. He, he liberates Israel out of the satanic captivity and brings them back. Now watch verse 28. Because what do the disciples at? Now the disciples pull him privately and they say what? Okay, why couldn't we do that? We've been doing it and now we can't. See? They had been. They had been. Verse 20, uh, 28. And when he was come, helps believe the glasses on, Rick. And he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately. So now they're away from everybody. Why could not we cast him out? They, why, why couldn't we do it? Now think about what verse 23 says. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that what? The re you're not believe you couldn't heal the guy because you're not what? Believing. See? What, ver what is verse 24? What did the dad do? I believe. I, I, I'm right there. There's some things I don't understand. We'll get there. But I believe. I don't understand. You're going to have to help me with that. Boom. But I mean, I believe you have the power to do it. The disciples in this situation, they were to 
go out into, they were trying to deliver the boy and do everything, but they couldn't. So the power to do the deliverance rests in believing God's word to them. I got to think about this. They couldn't do it. Why? Verse 23, you're not believing me, so you can't do it. Why weren't they believing him? Well, there's something that he just told them that they did not believe. 831. There's something he just, well, let's finish verse 29. There's something that he just told them that they didn't believe. That he's going where? To Jerusalem to die. They argue with him. So what are they not doing? They're not believing the word of God to them. Okay? Now look at verse 29, because here's the other verse that goes to church and gets beat up. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. This kind. Uh, the illustration here of what's happening to the boy, the picture that we just painted, that you just saw, it can't happen except by what? Prayer. Well, what had just happened? You couldn't heal him. I did heal him. But it's coming by prayer and fasting. And again, that's the great verse that's used for to gin up revival and all that mess in the religion about, hey, you know, we'll just get there prayer and fasting. But that's not the point. The point is, is this kind. What has just happened to the boy? He's in satanic captivity. It's controlling him. Every facet of his life. And, they, and, they, and the fact is, is the disciples couldn't do anything to stop it. His dad needed help. He couldn't stop it. He goes to the disciples. They couldn't stop it. Why? Because they weren't staying up with the word of God to them. They needed to trust the word of God. They needed to move from faithless generation to believing generation, okay? So the thing about prayer and fasting. Now, again, he just told them something, 829, Mark 829. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answered and said unto him, thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. It wasn't hidden. It was clear. It was plain. It was right there for them to get. But Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And the Lord looks there on the disciples, and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So they don't believe the new information. What's the new information? It's time for the cross. It's time for the sufferings of Christ. They don't believe that. So what happens? Well, they don't have power to do now. Come, up, come back over to Matthew 9. Watch this, Matthew 9. Matthew 9 is the helper here. Matthew 9 helps with all of this because of that issue of prayer and fasting. Matthew 9, verse 10. Matthew 9, 10. This is about John the Baptist. By the way, in Mark 9, we just had an inter interchange about John the Baptist and his guys. Mark 9, verse 10. 
And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John. So here comes John the Baptist guy, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Okay? Why are we doing it, but you guys aren't doing it? What's going on? By the way, that's why fasting is usually connected to religious activity. What are the Pharisees doing? Religious activity. John the Baptist, same thing. But the Lord's guys aren't doing it. What's the deal? So verse 15. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So as long as the bridegroom's there, what's the children of the bride chamber going to do? They're going to rejoice. They're going to be happy because he's there. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away, taken from them, and then shall they fast. Now, Mark 9 29, he says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. What did he just tell the disciples was going to happen? Mark 8, 31. He's going to go away. So if so, when he's there, no fasting, no praying, we're rejoicing, we're having a great time. But when he goes away, what should they do? Prayer and fast. They should mourn. He's la- so if they had been believing the word that he just told them, their belief would have said what? He's leaving. We're going to have to fast, pray, mourn. We've got to do something different here. Then you know what they would have had the power to do? Heal the kid. But they couldn't because they were not operating on faith. They were operating on failure. You follow that? That's, so come over to Luke 9. I'm sorry, Mark 9. Well, Luke 9 too, but Mark 9. Actually, yeah, just go run over there to Luke 9. Sorry. Luke 9. Because in Luke, he says it this way, a little bit more intensely. Luke 9, 44. They're confused about the death, burial, and resurrection. We'll see that when we get down in Mark 9, 30. Well, you got Luke 9? Go back to Mark 9. Sorry. They're having trouble here with this death, burial, and resurrection message. Look at Luke 9. I'm sorry, Mark 9, 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now this is the second time he's given them this information in Mark. Verse 32, but they understood all of it and were wonderfully excited. No, they understood what? None of it. And were afraid to ask him. They're struggling with this new information. Rather than believing it, Operating on faith that, hey, it's like that thing, 
<clears throat> they're in the boat and they forgot to grab the lunch buckets after the feeding of the 4,000. And he, they think he's upset with them because they left, they forgot the food. But rather, he's really upset with them because what? They don't believe him. They don't trust him to feed them. He, they just saw him feed 5,000. They just saw him feed 4,000. And you don't think I can take care of 12 of you? You know, there's that, that frustration of their, their thick-headedness, <laughs> if you will. Now, look at Luke 9, because it gets, a little, again, a little more intense. Luke 9, 44. Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of, the, of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of it. So they don't get it, but notice how the verses say, that verse 45, they understood not this saying, and it was what? Hid from them. Why was it hid from them? Because they don't believe it. If they'd have believed him, they'd have got it. They don't believe him. So it's what? It's hid from them. Now, after the resurrection, they understand it. Luke 24, they get their understanding open. Come over to John. It's, it's fascinating when you think about these guys. Uh, John 20. And on your way, stop in John 12. But John 20, we'll go there first. John 20. This kind, back there in Mark 9, the, the picture, the absolute, complete uh, lack of faith in what was going on, what was being said, because the power of the Lord is in what he said. And the power that's needed to deliver Israel is in his word. And if they had just stayed in the word right there, operating in the new and getting it, then they would have been able to have the power to do, but not, they didn't, so they're powerless. And they really don't get, they don't, they don't heal again until after the resurrection. Now, there's some other people that get to heal here, and, and we'll get to them in Mark, but, and the disciples are jealous of that because they've lost their ability to do until after the resurrection. Look at John 20. John 20. If they'd have just stayed up on the program, <laughs> then they'd have been good. But because of that, they didn't. John 20, look at verse 9. John 20 and verse 9. Uh, again, Mary Magdalene and the, the, the ladies have been up. They've come back. They've got Peter and John. They go run, Peter and John go running up there. And he says, verse 9, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Wait a minute. He's done, he told them in Luke 18, Luke 24, Luke 9, Matthew 6. He's told them over Mark 8, and what they just don't get it. And the issue is John 12. And here and 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 again, this isn't changing their justification status. <laughs> it's just their condition and, and where they're at. Look at John 12, verse 36. John 12, 36. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, 
Who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said, Again, he hath blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. Again, that's what's going on when you come back to Mark 9. They couldn't get it. Why? Because they didn't believe it. If they'd have just believed, it's that whole thing we saw last time about John the Baptist comes in the power of Elijah. If they'd have believed, then he would have been Elijah. But they don't. That contingency there. So back here in Mark 9, <clears throat> that's what he's doing with them. Look, guys, the issue here is, uh, isn't that you couldn't do it. The reason you couldn't do it is because of unbelief. And you just didn't keep rolling in it. You just kind of fell apart. Now, we'll pick up in verse 30 next time because the hour is up. But the power to do was in believing the word. And again, even for us, the, you know, Paul talks about the word works effectually in you that believe. We, too, have to believe the word. And when, it, when we don't, then we get frustrated. And the reason is not the word. It's us. That's where these guys were. Again, just be careful with verse 23. It's not a blanket statement about the, the, the working of faith and, and everything. Okay? It's rather nailing down the issue of, hey, you've got to believe the Word of God to you in the moment. If you don't, then you're going to have trouble. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the look here into the Word, for the study of it, and to see what the Lord's doing with his disciples and with his nation and the condition there, and uh, just rejoice in the fact that he will take care of it all. In your name we pray. Amen.